Well, I hope that as you look at, or as you look, as you listen to um, the series on addiction, that you have been so intrigued by what I have to say that you haven't realized the problem. But I wouldn't be fair finishing up without telling you the problem. The problem is this. I have told you in some excruciating detail, hopefully not, but in that, with great resolution, I have explained to you why treatment doesn't work. And that's not very useful. I, what I have said is that treatment would not possibly work unless you had the ability to track down the reason for the addiction. And tracking down the reason for the addiction has to go so deep into the psyche that I think it's a safe bet that if someone had that much personalized support and encouragement, they probably would have dealt with the problems that led to their addiction long before they were a problem. Now, they, some people have the idea that, that some people are just have an addictive personality. I would say, having seen lots and lots of addicts, that that's an inadequate description. What they had was a weakest point. And everything has a weakest point. So, there is on every system, sort of from an engineering perspective, there is a point at which it would fail. And you could improve that, and then there's another point at which it would fail. Um, there's always something that's the weakest point. So, yes, there are addictive personalities. There are people whose, by their probably temperament, um, by their values, are weakest at the point of addiction, but would be quite able to withstand a normal load. You know, this is like a, a bridge that isn't made for a 20-ton truck. It's not the fault of the bridge. It's the fault of the load. And so, what I would say addiction has been is prob probably best described as, as people whose vulnerability to one of these feedback loops was brought out by the emotional, intellectual, um, this, this, this load that somehow was placed upon them. Now, that load could be different things to different people. An unanswered question will drive one kind of personality to, to just spin out, and others will just dismiss it. Okay, so, so I, I'm not sure I'm being useful when I tell you this. I just don't think that there are some people destined to addiction. I think there are people who get overloaded and end up in addiction.
But my point is that if they had the support and personalized attention to look at all of these aspects and what led to the addiction, which led to the next, they probably would have had somebody to make sure that the load didn't get too heavy. So really, I have offered you a new way of looking at addiction. I've, I've offered you a new way of looking at why addiction treatment fails without giving you a solution. Because basically, you have two choices. Okay, one is if you have an addict, then according to the segments that go before this, you would have to take them, search into their psyche, hopefully win their trust so that they would be honest with you and move backwards into these basic realms of, of fundamental worth and unconditional love to of manipulation and what sort of environment of manipulation they were in or three what sort of what was the use of sympathy in their life and then you would have to try to solve that and then work its way out through the chain of addictions that followed from that and if you hear that task and you say look at we don't even have resources to address their major meth addiction. How are we going to get resources for these people? The answer is you probably won't. Although, maybe we could. And maybe it would be better to find an effective mode of treatment. And by effective, I mean at least it's got to be 50%. Uh, but I, I, I would say something, if it's a drug, you, it, it gets the desired result, what, 80% of the time? If we had a drug treatment that, and, and we could only take into it a few people, but 80% of the time they were treated, um, it might be worth changing our mode, all right? Because right now, Treatment programs are filled up with people who are on their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time through treatment. And there is a sort of a jaded attitude which sort of understandably emerges. The people at treatment don't really think treatment works. So Maybe we should. Maybe this hypothesis, if someone were to, to follow it up, it would lead to a different mode where you had to earn treatment. The problem is that, that one of the reasons we need treatment is we need daycare for these people because there's nothing else. There's, we need some place for them to go because they are actively destroying their environment. And we put them in jail and then we look for a good daycare to, to keep them out of our hair and, and hope that it works, but at least we're able to get on with our lives. So that's possibility one. Possibility two, I feel like I have to include it, 
is that we find a set of skills which would apply across all domains of addiction. And we train people in those skills. Now, that's a pretty tall order. But I think I have an idea. What is, what is the skill with which you would attack all addictions? Whether it's an addiction to sympathy, or addiction to manipulation, or addiction to pot, or addiction to cigarettes, addiction to on down the line. What is And roughly speaking, I would say that that meta skill, that, that skill that is above all the other skills, looks something like the ability to fight a battle not in view of the temptation. In addiction therapy, they talk about triggers. Triggers are things that in and of themselves are not a problem. But they lead to what is a problem. So, if you're going to fight addiction, you would have to fight those triggers. and become somebody who can say, I don't even want to see what leads me to the addiction. And that would be the skill which, in theory, would, would cut across all domains of, it would cut across all domains of um, addiction. Now, I want to suggest what that meta skill might be. Well, I, I guess I did. I, I just got distracted. I'm sorry. Okay, so I, I suggested what that skill is, but how you would get it is what I want to suggest. The skill is, could you come up with a, a way to fight a battle not in view of the temptation? Well, the only way that you can do that is to gain the ability to make something important, which at the moment is unimportant. And that is a specific skill. It's a skill which is learnable. And I will tell you how I know it's learnable. It is learnable because I learned it. So let me talk for a minute about how I learned that skill. So when I went in <coughs> to the United States Army, I was fairly young, and I considered myself as an idea person, not a detail person. And paying attention to detail is, I would say, the, the core skill needed to be able to 
do what I was talking about, which is if I'm going to be able to treat something insignificant as if it matters before it becomes significant, um, I'm going to have to be able to, to identify and act on unimportant things. That ability to do things while they are unimportant. And, and maybe what I'm saying is while they are emotionally unimportant. So, for me, I'm in uh, my AIT, and you have a drill sergeant. The drill sergeant does inspections, and uh, a part of the strategy is to sort of break you down and, and see how you're going to react if everything goes bad. And so, one of the one of the things that happens is, is rules get applied inconsistently. So your room gets inspected and every day it's not good enough. But it's never for the same thing, right? So today they're upset about one thing. So tomorrow you fix that. And the next day they're searching for some other failure. So I started to take the inspections as I, I, I was going to try to act like everything mattered. It didn't matter. If, I mean, you get yelled at, and, and that was part of putting stress on you and finding out whether you could work under that stress. So it wasn't really significant, but, but I decided, you know what, I can learn this. I can learn to pay attention to details. And one of the, one of the random things that the Army somewhere has said is that boots need to be laced left over right. Why? Uh, there probably is some reason. I don't care what the reason is. What matters to me, and it doesn't matter to me, but what I trained myself to be able to act as if it mattered is that my boots were always laced correctly. When they were setting up for inspection, and, and after that, I know it doesn't matter. I don't think that it does, but I do know that it matters that I can act like it matters. Now, this whole discussion of, of addiction stems from my choosing to fight addiction. So I think that even while I haven't suffered through addiction, I do think that this skill is the meta skill, the skill which applies over all domains of addiction. And that is that in order in order to conquer addiction, you have to be able to make things important intellectually. Not wait until they're important emotionally. And I can make lacing boots left over right important. I couldn't when I went into the Army. I left AIT, Advanced Individual Training, I left there being able to make all sorts of insignificant things important. And I'm convinced that this is the skill, at least I'm convinced enough that I have a program for addicts. And it is designed to do one thing, not to analyze what addiction came first and go backwards and try to untangle. It may be useful to do that, and I am willing to. Because I get to work with people as individuals, not as part of some group. 
But if somebody wants help with addiction, I have a program to train them to make insignificant things important. To decide they are important, not wait until their emotions make them important. <coughs> it goes like this. If you come to me and you say, I, I, I want help, I will say, okay, what are the things that are important for you to do tomorrow? Well, I need to make sure I get an application for this job. I need to turn in the paperwork for this. Whatever. You have your list. So I would write down those things that are important. I'll say, you know what? I will help you with these things that are important. Because they're important. But now I want you to sit down and write a list of unimportant things that are worth doing. They need to be things, I call them intentionalities. Things that you will do because you decided to do them, not because someone will be disappointed in you if you don't do them. Not because someone's expecting it, not because there'll be pain if it's left undone. All those things are things which make something important emotionally. So I want you to come up with some things that are not emotionally important. Okay? Well, we would go back and forth on what that list is, but I'll, I'll use some examples that I've used. One is, why don't you, tomorrow, ask me to print off a picture of a cartoon character and mail a picture, color it, and mail it to your three-year-old son who you don't get to see. So we'll just use one right now, but I encourage them, usually I, I want them to come with five, sometimes they'll come with three. Okay, so so you've got, we'll, we'll just go over that one. You come back to me and you say, all right, I'm going to print off a cartoon character and I'm going to color it and send it to my son and write him a letter and make him a video and I'll be like, no, 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 no. Let's make this small. What do you have to do? Well, I'm going to print out. Can you print it? No. Okay, well, let's be precise. I'm going to ask you, Jeremy, to print off a cartoon character I'm going to color it, put it in an envelope, and address it, and put a stamp on it. I'm going to have to ask you for the stamp. Okay, now we have an intentionality. We have a defined activity that has no emotional reason to be important, which you are going to make important by your decision. So, okay, in the next phase, we have our intentionality. The next phase is what are you going to do as a consequence if you don't do that? And it's like, it, it, this has to be something you can do in front of me. And so they'll come up with uh, something that is mildly unwanted, so let's say, for you, I'm pretty embarrassed about singing in front of someone, so you decide that you will sing, take me out to the ballpark in front of me. 
which would be embarrassing, but not cripplingly embarrassing. It's just the two of us. So that's your consequence. That's what you're going to do if you don't do this other. And then I review it. Or is there anything, reason why you couldn't do this? I mean, what if you were busy all day? Do you think you could stay up an extra hour and color in? Yeah. Okay, so there's no reason why you can't do this. Secondly, is there any reason why this would be important other than you are making it important? No? Okay, we're ready for tomorrow. So tomorrow dawns and I take you to your appointment and to your job interview and we do the important things. And I don't say a word about this. But I come to you at the end of the day and I say, all right. How's your intentionality? And I'll tell you one of the amazing things about it is that almost always it is an incredible struggle. And I don't know why. It's a struggle all out of proportion to its significance. But people have said, you know, I. it was like it was like this battle to make myself do it. And oftentimes they didn't do it. But I was like, look at this. You had a battle. I remember telling the one guy, you had a battle. You got to practice fighting with yourself and there were no pills anywhere. Because normally you're in a battle and if you lose, you take the pills, right? So you are practicing fighting when losing means you take pills. But today you were in a battle and it felt like a battle and there were no pills available. That's when you need to practice fighting. You don't start practice fighting when it's a matter of life and death because for him, pills are a matter of life and death. Well, that's dumb to practice. I mean, that's like sending people out to practice their basic training in the army with enemies being shooting at them. Well, you get highly trained people and all the others die, right? It's a Darwinian approach and it happened in, in a number of countries. They just, uh, the, the one movie, memorialized it with the handed one guy bullets and the other guy a gun and they said whichever one of you get shot first the other one gets both well that's not a particularly good approach to addiction but here is a way to set up a battle to set up a battle and to not have anything dangerous in you. What are we training? We're training the, the skill which applies to all types of addiction, possibly. It's worth exploring. I offer it to you. There may be more on it, but for now, I will let you consider this approach to addiction.